Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I'm the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. I'm pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. Jason, it's been a pleasure to spend 198 episodes with you. It's 158, uh, but still, that's pretty remarkable. 158 uh, what, two, uh, three and a half years, three, three and, and a half, half something years, something like that. Feels like longer. Yes, it does. Um, <laughs> if I said that to my wife, she would have kicked me in the shins by now. Here we are. Uh, if you want to contact the show, you can give us a call, 303-832-0217. Again, Bupkis on the old uh, voicemail line. Bupkis. I was even, I, I was hoping that anybody would even just check in and, and just hang up. All, you know, just, just have heavy breathing and hang up. I haven't even had that. Maybe you should sign up for a bunch of uh, websites using that phone number, and then oh, we can get spam calls. Brilliant. Yeah. And then we can have everybody giving us a credit card number. Marriott Rewards. Oh, yeah. We car insurance. There you go. Mike we, Bloomberg. We just want a seven-night trip to Las Vegas. Can't wait. So later on the show, we're going to be talking traffic, this time in Tucson with a guy who rivals me for traffic knowledge uh, and traffic interest. We're going to hook up with Big Al Kaith. From KGUN-TV in Tucson, Al has been covering traffic for over 30 years. He's seen all the changes in the industry. He's seen the changes in southern Arizona. Uh, I hope we can really contain his brain power to about 25 to 30 minutes. It's going to be more of a uh, a contain him, not control, because I don't think we can uh, we can control him. I think you know his his mind is just so vastly packed full of traffic knowledge. And why would you try to control it? You can't. You have to try to contain it and just keep it within the rails. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. And he also knows one of our reporter people, Lance Hernandez, who's worked here since, well, what? Decades. Charlton Heston was, you know, running around. Yes, at the very least. So they, and they, I guess, worked with each other in Kimball, Nebraska. So uh, anyway, it'll be interesting to talk with Big Al and we'll see, uh, we'll see how he's doing and see what's going on. Well, that'll be coming up in just a bit. Uh, I saw a funny post on my Nextdoor app the other day. It was from one of the neighbors, Rebecca Raining, who titled her post, 6.15 a.m. Big Truck Guy. Mm. Rebecca writes, you don't know me, but we've formed a bond. Oh. Every morning at 6.15, I can count on being roused before my alarm by your enormous big charging, by your enormous rig charging up Quebec Street. You must have the best luck or a great routine because I hear you coming from ways out and yet you never hit any lights. I assure you're just a hardworking person who needs an F5 billion truck to do your work. No judgment there. Your loudness has become part of my life. I miss you when you're not here. I start to worry. Today you came by at 621. Is everything okay? (laughs) That was the end of the statement from Rebecca. I went through all the comments. Mm. And as far as I saw, 615 truck guy never responded. The bigger question is, is Rebecca single? Uh, I would think in that part of uh, the metro Denver area, no. Okay. I would think she has a husband and family. While we're stereotyping, why are we assuming it's big truck guy? Maybe it's big truck gal. It could be big truck gal. You're exactly right. But I would think the odds are favorable that it's big truck guy. That's that's because you're a sexist. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we can only assume that he maybe was late for a mysterious reason of some sort. 
But that was a pretty funny post that I thought that was uh, thoroughly enjoyed on uh, next door. Uh, going to the mailbag early today, I received this note. Uh, I think it was on the Facebook uh, from someone who says, my husband has a theory that all roads going west should be one way and then all roads going east should be one way. So, Jason, what do you think? He says it should work. <laughs> so I, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm looking, no, I, I, that's, that's exactly what it says. Because I first read the message and I was, I was looking at I was kind of confused. I was thinking, is this an idea about making one-way roads during rush hours? Just like where you have maybe split up the rush hours where where in the morning you're going one way and the evening you're going a different way. Uh, maybe it's because of the sun glare deal where you're where where you, all the roads have to go west away from the sun in the morning and east away from the sun in the in the, in the evening. Maybe. And then I then I looked less deeply at the message, and what I what I think her husband was suggesting is is the city should make all roads go. That go west one way, and then all the roads that go east the other direction. But then I, I was looking at it more deeply than that, and I think, well, all roads that are laid out that way go east and west <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> depending on which way you're facing. I, I just want to point out, so, if if a road is going east, it's going one way, and that one way is east. Okay. And if a road is going west, it is only going one way, and that one way is west. Yeah. So, yes, the city's already done that. Yeah, there's one-way streets all over, all kinds of cities, right? I I just don't. I I just I, at the end of the day, I don't really know exactly what her husband is suggesting. So I'm just gonna I, I'm gonna be fuzzy on the scenario, and I just don't know. Can you read the email again? My husband has a theory that all roads going west should be one way, and then all roads going east should be one way. So Jason, what do you think? He says it would work. I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I guess I just don't get it. I don't get the premise. Do, I mean, we have one-way streets and some go east and some go west and some go north, some go south. I, I, I still think it's. I reject the premise. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I guess I like streets that go both ways. I'm a both-way street guy. I think the streets are fine. I don't think we need to overanalyze this. I like it that some streets go both ways, and some streets are one ways, and some streets are sideways. Some streets are avenues, Jason. We actually have a street parkway here in Denver. There you go. There's one that's called Monaco Street Parkway, because it's Monaco Street, but part of the street is actually a parkway, and then it goes back to being a street. So I, I, don't, I just don't know what to do with that. I mean, you could, you could send me more of these messages on Facebook or Twitter at Denver 7 Traffic, or you can call the phone number 303-832-0217 if you want to weigh in on these things. That's not even a message. That's a riddle. Yeah, I guess it is. So I, I, I just said, well, pff, I don't, I mean, I, I didn't know what to tell her, that her husband's screw, a screwball, mm-hmm. and he's coming up with weird theories here. I just don't I, know. I think that's what we can agree on, is that whatever he was thinking, it was a bad idea. I think what he was thinking was the sun glare problem because every time I in the morning I'm mentioning about the sun glare, those folks that are heading east into the sun, we have much slower than average traffic. So make all the roads in the morning go west. But what about all the people who live out to the west and need to head east? You can't. I mean, I just you can't unless everybody in one town was living in one spot and the factory was in the other spot, 
or you get them to go north south. I don't. I I don't know. Only have north south roads then. <laughs> I, 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 this is too much for me. I'm so confused. By the way, breaking news. Breaking news right here. Serious breaking news. Uh, I'm just getting this. Texting while walking poses serious safety risks, researchers say. You can end this breaking news segment. Yes, it does. <laughs> just yes, reading does. this. We might need to go wall-to-wall coverage on this. I think you you being the EP of the uh, evening shows, you need to you need to work this up. Between this and the giant asteroid that's headed towards Earth but may or may Wait, not what? hit Earth. It might hit Earth. It we might have not. A, we have one? Yeah. There's always one yet. that's about to hit Earth, right? I'm still getting over the broom challenge. Well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know if it's related to the asteroid, but wall-to-wall coverage. So this comes to us from the site Health Day News. The article says the dangers of distracted driving are well known, but texting while walking may also be a road hazard, a new research review finds. Pedestrians who are busy texting are less likely to look both ways before crossing the street and have caused a growing number of close calls with cars, the review found. And while chatting on a cell phone or listening to music can be distracting, Neither was as bad as texting. Much of the evidence comes from simulation studies, not actual studies, not actual observations, from simulations, where researchers observe people during virtual street crossings that pose no real danger. Virtual crossings, no real danger. I like my uh, university studies to have some real stakes to them. Maybe that's yeah, just yeah, me. exactly. But me like too. this, this should be a life or death situation. It's not clear how often distracted walking factors into traffic crashes because this was all a simulation. Mm. The study was published February 3rd in the journal Injury Prevention. Great on the coffee table. (laughs) Read it every month. Researchers led by Sarah Simmons at the University of Calgary were able to find 14 simulation studies. Overall, those studies found texting or browsing on a smartphone compromised people's virtual street crossing skills they were less likely to look both ways before crossing and the distraction increased their risk of being hit or having a close call with a virtual vehicle in general texting and browsing dulled pedestrian skills more than talking on a cell phone or listening to music the calgary team also found eight studies in which researchers observed pedestrians in the real world Real-world studies. Oh, wow. What do you know? Again, pedestrians who were busy with their phones were less likely to look around before crossing the street. Worldwide, around 270,000 pedestrians die every year, accounting for a fifth of all road traffic deaths. I'll tell you what. You know, I was on the fence about my subscription to Injury and Prevention magazine, but ever since I read that banger of an article about not texting and driving, I think I'm going to do it. <laughs> I think I'm going to subscribe. Look, the fo- we, we all know the phone is distracting. It's distracting to anything you are doing. If you're driving, if you're walking, if you're sitting, if you're riding on a bus, if you're in the bathroom, if you're in bed, if you're on a cruise, if you're riding a bike... It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're using a phone, it's distracting. Okay. But, okay. Okay. I agree with all that. But one of the benefits of walking everywhere 
is that I can fire off a text at the same time because I'm not going to kill myself because I'm driving and trying to navigate an intersection and fire off a text at the same time. It's not that hard to look up while you're in a crosswalk from your text message. You can text the duration of the time you were on the sidewalk, and then once you see, oh, sidewalk ends, asphalt starts here, maybe I should look up and look both ways. You're assuming that people will look up away from their distraction device and actually do that. I I'm not just assuming that. I'm saying if you don't do that, you kind like wh- you deserve why it. Wouldn't you? You deserve it. How do ho- you? Are you saying you deserve to get hit if you don't look up and you just walk out on the street while you're texting or using your phone distracted? I would say that to anybody. If you don't look both ways before you step into the road, you probably deserve to get hit. Boom. Right? You deserve to get hit. How how easy is that? Isn't that something you learn in the third grade? Look both ways before you cross the street. Yes. Why do, why, why do texting people forget that? Does I, texting make you dumber? Does texting make you forget that a road has cars in it that will hit you? I think the phone is now, for, for, mo, for, for many people, more powerful than a drug addiction. Yes. I could tell you a story all about that that happened to me in the last 24 hours, but I would, I, I'd probably get in trouble with the person that I was talking about. Is it your wife? Let's just say your wife. <laughs> let, let let's just say that this person has a phone that was inoperable. Her name is your wife. I I I, I really you you can see it everywhere. This this is a real story. I had a phone. I said I'm going to downsize. I'm going to go to a candy bar phone. I'm not going to be addicted to this anymore. Went to the store. Said I'm getting a candy bar phone. Turned in my smartphone. Got the old brick. Right. Yeah. Texting and cell phone only. Have to punch in the numbers to get the text. Power outage in my town within 24 hours. Couldn't get to my email. No computer access. The only way I would have been able to get email would be through the Wi-Fi connection on a smartphone to find out if my classes were canceled and I needed to brave the winter. And so I immediately called Verizon and said, please give me my damn smartphone back. (laughs) I can't survive like this. I have to have this smartphone. Otherwise, I won't be able to function in the world. I, I always hear these stories about people offering money if you can do away with your phone for a month or for whatever. Sign me up. I could do it. Now, as part of my job, I need it as a tool for information coming to me from uh-huh. from areas that I, I can't get it from online sources. And thusly, I can only get it from the phone. Thusly, you cannot quit the phone. Well, no, I would, I would be able to quit the phone if I didn't have this job. Mm-hmm. If I was an accountant. I could quit the phone. But the thing is, is that like plumbers are saying that and electricians, they're like, I, I can't do my job without the phone. Well, they probably look things up as they're like a YouTube video as they're trying to replace your ream air conditioner. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're looking up, wait, what does this wire do? And, and so then they can look up on YouTube and, and figure it out while they're, they're repairing. Precisely, your- man. They've made it necessary, necessary. They've made it necessary technology for everybody. Even the McDonald's employee is saying, I need the phone. I need the phone because I need to be able to listen to my music while I'm flipping burgers back here. And you know what? More power to them, man. Can't quit it. Can't live without it. Can't kill it. But I don't think most people are using it for information. I think most people are using it for social media, just browsing uh, pictures, and basically wasting a lot of time. Yes, they're using it for information, but they're using it for dumb information. I have oh, sure. I have all of humanity at my fingertips, but what I really want to know is, did the NWO win at Bash of the Beach 97? I don't know, did they? I don't know either. That's why I had to look it up. All right. 
Well, I just don't want you to be one of the 270,000 pedestrians who die every year in uh, these road traffic deaths while you're texting across the street. I don't do that. I look up first. So says you. Well, it's time once again to talk traffic, our segment where we hook up with a traffic anchor from somewhere in the grand USA and talk traffic. Today, we're going to go to the great Southwest to talk traffic in Arizona. Alan Big Al Kaith is the uh, person who's been reporting on Tucson traffic since 1988. Not only does he talk about it, he actually gets out in it. He reports weekly on big areas of concern there in Tucson. His segment, Ask Big Al, is often a sounding board for those who don't know where to go for questions about countywide traffic issues. Much like my traffic segment that I do here as the namesake of this show called Driving You Crazy. Big Al was inducted into the Arizona Broadcasters Hall of Fame in October of 2017. He was the first traffic reporter ever to be inducted. Al, Thanks for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Jason, it's a pleasure. And uh, you said that uh, you reach out to uh, traffic reporters in the grand United States, and this is the Grand Canyon State. The traffic is grand here. Grandly uh, restrictive and, and, and a problem. Before we get really into the traffic problems that Tucson is dealing with now, let's talk about Big Al. How did you get started talking traffic? Well, it all started uh, at a little radio station where your colleague Lance Hernandez worked back in the 70s, who worked with me, more likely, more accurately, I worked with him in a little town called Kimball, Nebraska, which is uh, east of Wyoming and north of Colorado, kind of in the tri-state area, but we all watched the Denver television stations, and we were fascinated by all of the things that were going on with traffic and freeways and the mouse trap, and that uh, motivated me to move to a metro area out of Nebraska to go to college. I went to engineering school and got a degree in engineering, but uh, broadcasting was always my thing. Ever since I started when I was 14, I never could get away from that. I always loved it, and back when traffic was really not popular, uh, and people were pressed into flying traffic uh, airplanes, a lot of people didn't want to do that. And so in 1980, I got tapped at a sister station uh, called KTAR at that time. still is. It's a big station out of uh, Phoenix. And uh, learned to report traffic there and uh, really have done it since 1980 but only on TV from about 1990. I came to Tucson, started a traffic watch company with partners in Phoenix at that time, and uh, it took off. And uh, I created a name for myself doing traffic, kind of like what you did at uh, a big Denver radio station. It just kind of fell into my lap to migrate over to television at that time. Yeah, it was the same thing with me. I was uh, over at KOA Radio. I was uh, doing weekends, uh, the anchoring the news Saturday and Sundays for the uh, for the station, plus doing uh, weekday reporting. And yeah, they asked me if I wanted to fill in and doing the helicopter stuff. And boom, they liked me doing it. I liked doing it. Became a full time gig and uh, helped start Airwatch America, which was uh, a rival they were trying to make uh, to Metro Traffic. Uh, and shadow traffic, and uh, then I went back to the uh, newsroom at KOA and 
It, you know, it's just it was interesting how traffic reporting companies like you were just talking about have changed over the years as well. Really, there's we're down to just a few. We are because of the cost of doing it, uh, Jason. They uh, broadcasting has to, uh, especially radio broadcasting, has to uh, look for ways to uh, do the same type of a product yet uh, spending less to do it. And so we have seen uh, a migration of local reporters kind of um, migrating away from that industry because uh, the case could be made, but not a great case, that technology uh, has replaced the eyes and ears of someone like you or me. Uh, you can't see everything with a camera, but they are much better than what it used to be. Uh, there aren't cameras at every intersection like you would see uh, if you were flying, and you'd see every intersection and catch the direction. But uh, it's so expensive to do that kind of surveillance now. I remember uh, managing several markets in the Southwest, and my expenses were basically labor and aviation in terms of the percentage that I had to spend. It was about 70%, I remember, spending on labor and aviation to do that, to, to provide that type of product for several markets in the Southwest. So it has changed. There is more technology. There's less aviation, uh, especially on the radio side. And now on the TV side, a lot of times television stations will pool their helicopter resources. One station may fly on Monday, one on Tuesday another on Wednesday, and so forth. So, yes, it has changed. Uh, but a lot of the the, uh, the type of product that's produced is still basically the same. Whether it's as good or not is up for debate. We're speaking with Big Al, Alan Kaith, uh, the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for KGUN-TV in Tucson, 9 on your side. You can find him on Twitter at Big Al Traffic Pal. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, helicopter sharing, that's what we have here at uh, in Denver. So all the TV stations share one helicopter, and KOA radios included. Because it, back in the day, we uh, had Jefferson Pilot, their group of radio stations, had their own airplane, would fly around. Um, then Metro Traffic would have their own airplane. KOA Radio, we had our own air, uh, helicopter. And then all the TV stations, all four TV stations, had their own helicopter. Denver Police had their own helicopter uh, flying around. So we would have all these aircraft over one incident flying around. And obviously it's inherently dangerous when that was taking place. Well, can I ask both of you guys, because I'm curious, and, and Al, maybe you start, why can't why couldn't drones replicate a lot of the work that helicopters used to do? Because it seems like we have this alternative to expensive helicopters and much more inexpensive drones, and you you almost could get more of those in the air at a given time. So why aren't you able to replicate the same coverage area with drones that you would with a helicopter? Great question. Simple answer. It takes a while to go to the incident, launch the drone, the drone has limited battery supply, so it can't stay up and over a wreck for a long period of time. And because you're at scenes, generally speaking, let's just say it's at the mousetrap. Uh, difficult to launch over something like that along I-25 because of the safety of the person that would be the drone pilot, finding a safe spot to park the vehicle. And then 
by the time you get there and you run your vehicle through traffic, the incident may be gone because it might take you, what, 30 minutes from Spear Boulevard where you are to get to the mousetrap during a busy day? That's the reason. It's limited, uh, but it will occur. It's just too young for it occur, to it occur right now. need better batteries, longer time, and a more streamlined way to do drone uh, piloting from a remote location like, say, your station, and have that fly all the way over to I-25. needs to get there quick, and the way it's done right now, it's kind of Flintstone-ish, kind of primitive, where you have to actually drive over and then launch the drone. Yeah, and they, uh, Denver police, other police agencies, they are not real keen on having a drone fly above traffic. That's not what they want to do. Um, it's completely different when you have a helicopter with a pilot that's controlled by FAA regulations and somebody talking back and forth to a tower and you actually have a machine that is designed to do that um, flying around. So I, I, if we had larger drones that had more range, that were more like a regular aircraft that could be piloted like the military has where they have these drone aircraft flying around, and they're doing that from a remote location from a room somewhere, but you know that it has enough fuel and range to get to where it needs to go and be there safely and then also be watched by the FAA, then then it would happen. But again, what is that cost compared to um, the savings that the TV stations all want to have? Because that's why we're all sharing right now. They don't want to spend the million dollars it takes to operate a helicopter at this point, or even a, just a fixed-wing aircraft. I've talked to other pilots who would be willing to do, you know, have a camera in a fixed-wing aircraft that could be still steady like you have in a helicopter, but the cost is still extraordinary. Well, but Jason, he, your executive producer makes a great point, and he is a forward-thinking person, as are we. It is coming, but it's years away. Jason, it's going to be so long that you and me and probably the executive producer uh, won't be doing what we're doing right now, and that is talking about this. But it is coming. It has to come. That's the next evolution of surveillance, airborne surveillance, whether it's following somebody on foot that ripped off a, a convenience store or whether it's uh, looking at a wreck that's blocking two lanes. Uh, you know, I keep going back to I-25 because that was my favorite freeway and still is uh, coming out of Arizona and getting back to my hometown. So just as an example, uh, this absolutely is on the way, but battery improvement has to happen and there has to be a streamlined rule set where we all understand who's at what elevation and that they are there and that they will be there for just a little while and then they'll be gone because you can't just hover over something like that if it's a, an hours long closure with the power of a, a drone that's good for 20 to 30 minutes we're speaking with al big al Keith, the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for kgun tv in tucson you mentioned big al about your love affair with i-25 but there are some roads in Arizona that I would hope that you would also have some love for, like I-10 and I-19 uh, and maybe Highway 77 there in Tucson. How bad really is the traffic in Tucson when you have limited freeways that go around or through the town? You know, Jason, we have a million people in the metro area. So uh, I-10 for a million people, is basically the mother road in Tucson. Yes, we have I-19. 
And that is going to be a more important road as years go by. There is a proposal to create an I-11 off of the uh, area south of Tucson along I-19, bypassing Tucson, bypassing Phoenix, straight to Vegas because of the importance of the produce corridor and how it, it continues to uh, increase in interest. And so that is a more important discussion than it ever has been. The I-11 corridor coming off of I-19. Interstate 10, basically we do have one freeway in the metro area of a million people. Part of that is political will. The people that are here and have been here don't like uh, freeways. And Arizona Department of Transportation looks, if you look at Phoenix and compare it to Tucson, we just opened a new stretch of the 202, which goes around basically Phoenix from the airport out to your way to Los Angeles, bypassing all that big congestion corridor in the Metro Phoenix area. I care about I-10 in particular between Tucson and Phoenix because of dust storm issues, visibility issues, fatality issues involving weather. And then we're seeing improvements along Interstate 10 just this weekend when we are now beefing up all of our interchanges one by one and $129 million at a time. We just finished with one in February, Ina Road. Now we're starting Ruthroff Road. We basically have a freeway that follows the trains, and so everyone waits at the train tracks. Sounds kind of primitive, but that's the way Tucson was built. And so we go back now after 40 or 50 years and rebuild all these interchanges to take the roadway up and over the tracks, streamline the, uh, the way around, and widen the freeway and the adjacent roads. So we're just starting one that's a, going to be a complete closure of a big road for probably a year and a half. Uh, I love I-10, but there's just not enough capacity, and ADOT knows it. We all know it. Part of the business cost and the opportunity cost of living where there's 320-plus days of sunshine every year. Tucson, I know, is working on their 20-year master transportation plan. What parts of the plan are going to be tackled in uh, transportation, moving people around in Tucson for the next 20 or 30 or 40 years? What are some of those biggest transportation problems that you're dealing with in Tucson and southern Arizona? Because we are a logistic perfect storm in Tucson, on the way to Cali, on the way to Texas, on the way to Mexico, we have uh, really centered a lot on logistics and uh, ports. We will, uh, and not obviously not water ports. However, there is now a deep water port in Mexico uh, at Wymus, and so that will factor into a lot of a lot more truck traffic coming up through Mexico and probably through Tucson until I-11 is built we'll see a lot more freight in and out of Tucson. And so the, the real discussion is, at least right now, what will the alternative to get all this freight out of the city look like? And it'll probably be some new stretch of freeway, like an I-11. Here in town, the planning folks are rethinking how people are mobile. In fact, the key word now in transportation is mobility. The city of Tucson just trained, changed their name to 
city of Tucson Transportation and Mobility Department because they want streets that handle more than cars and trucks. They want to be able to put people near or close to the streets. They want to have it safe for pedestrians and for bicyclists here because this is a bicycle-friendly community. Uh, I encourage all of our your uh, podcast listeners to check out El Tour de Tucson if you like cycling because you probably already know if you're a cyclist, it's one of the biggest uh, perimeter bicycle ev- events in the country, one of the first. Mobility is the key, however it takes you to get from one place to another. The developing home communities now are looking at little clusters of homes and then a big civic center where you don't have to travel very far and if you do you can do it on your cycle or on foot but this all comes into the way it transportation is going to be looked at over the next for sure 15 to 20 years no longer huge streets to be built just those streets that we have, at least in Tucson, will be maintained. They're looking at trying to cut down the sizes of streets. They're looking to cut down the, the width of a roadway where you have to build it. Uh, they don't want a 150-foot right-of-way. They maybe want 90 feet now and have more room for sidewalks and uh, pedestrian-friendly things, landscaping, benches, and that sort of thing. So it's going away from cars and trucks a little bit. Now, I like riding bikes, but... I will never be considered a cyclist. <laughs> well, you uh, <laughs> you and your executive producer uh, might not like living in Tucson so much because we're a, what is called a gold medal city for cycling. We love the cycling industry, the cycling community, and yes, it is tough to ride sometimes, but bike lanes are coming as they redevelop roads or improve them, they add cycle lanes now and uh, have been for a long time. I know that that's the case in Denver as well. Joseph and I have talked a lot about that. We absolutely have. And I was actually going to ask you, do you guys get the video during the crazy dust storms of people bicycling through it anyway to get where they need to be like we get here with the snowstorms where I'm always sending people out, hey, make sure to get somebody on their bicycle, somebody walking their dog, etc. When severe weather hits you guys, do you see the same thing? We don't, uh, at least not in the metro. Where we get big weather between Tucson and Phoenix because of the tremendous amount of dust storms, especially near Picacho Peak, about halfway between Tucson and Phoenix, and also out near New Mexico. But Tucson's fairly well developed, so we have dust issues. But you uh, you know can ride a bike in dust, and it's a whole heck of a lot easier than riding it in snow. I would think so. I would think so. We're speaking with Big Al, Al Kaith. He is the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for KGUN-TV in Tucson. You can find him on Twitter at Big Al Traffic Pal. And uh, any plans? You were mentioning some of the changes happening in Tucson uh, with bike lanes and pedestrians getting around. But you also have a streetcar system. They are a way for people to get around the city is there any is there any plans to expand it how well is it written do people like riding that light rail type uh, streetcar uh great questions all of them i'll try to address them one at a time it's called sunlink uh it was built partially with a match from the federal government under the under the obama administration i remember the secretary of transportation coming here back in the day and had a big uh six foot check and he assigned a 63 million dollar check to the city of tucson to build uh their match 
of about $130 million worth of uh, four miles of streetcar that run through the densest portions of Tucson, the University of Arizona, downtown, and then over to the west side. So it's only four miles, Jason. It's not heavily ridden right now, except on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays when all the university students and everyone wants to go see a football game or go downtown. Plans might be in the works to expand it, but um, I think that the federal government would have to get behind something like that because uh, to build a mile of streetcar is, is a lot of streetcar line is a lot of money. Would love to have it go to the airport. Would love to have it go from Tucson to Phoenix. Kind of a high speed rail thing, but those things are again long plans then time away from what we will have now. Two words that are combined into one, hyperloop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect for the hyperloop. Yeah, I don't think, uh, I mean, we tried, and I, you guys probably did too, to uh, get some of that Tesla business, uh, but it went to Reno, Nevada. We tried to get the battery business. We sent them a cactus, and they sent it back. We also did that for Amazon the folks at Raytheon are younger people. They're engineers just getting started, a lot of them, and so they like these alternatives to just, you know, car and truck routes. They like to have uh, uh, a way to recreate using their cycles. And I'll just I'll leave you with this uh, while we're talking about the streetcar. Uh, there is a perimeter of bicycling and mixed-use 12-foot lanes called The Loop, and that's the proper name for it, capital T, capital L. It's about 106 or 10 miles, and you can ride your bike around the whole perimeter of Tucson, and it's beautiful, and people love it. It's really a popular thing for people here that are you guys as age and even up to my age. We have a series of trails that can get you around the city and through the city. Uh, but when you said you can ride a bike, that I know you're not talking about me because I'm not going to ride anything for 106 miles. <laughs> Even if I'm riding in a car, I'm going to be I'm going to be contemplating if I'm going 106 miles. Jason, I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, if you want to take me up on it, I uh, am the voice of the El Tour de Tucson. I ride and follow the riders every year around the perimeter of Tucson, not along that loop, because uh, we have 8,000 cyclists that come, and sometimes even more. So that's in November. If you want to come and visit, bring Joseph with you. I'll give you a grand tour, and you may change your mind about cycling, my friend. Well, how about this? We we just trade jobs for a couple of months. How about from, like, January through May, you can work here, I can work there, uh, and enjoy the weather that they have in southern Arizona before it gets too terribly hot, enjoy spring training, and then you can come in here and enjoy the snow and all the craziness that comes along with it. You know, somehow uh, I left Nebraska for that very reason. <laughs> I don't like breaking ice on cattle tanks and uh, setting up snow fence because uh, my dad was an auctioneer. We owned a sale barn and was uh, we owned livestock and traded livestock. And uh, I just, I got to tell you, when I left there when I was 18 years of age, I really never looked back at the weather. I know that it's gorgeous. In Denver in the summer, there's nothing better. I mean, June, July, and August in Denver, where are you going to find something that nice anywhere else in the world? It's gorgeous. 
You have snow on the peaks sometimes, even in that time of year. I can't think of a nicer place to live in the summer. (laughs) But I am going to take a hard pass (laughs) on your offer. Oh, well, then I I guess I'll have to try with uh, the traffic anchor from Phoenix or or Tampa next. Yeah, good uh, luck with <laughs> that. Yeah, good luck. So uh, traffic reports for the morning news is not all you do. You also host a series of stories called Ask Big Al. What are some of the common questions or even unusual questions you get? Garden variety stuff. Can you help me fix this pothole? Well, I'm not going to come out with asphalt and fix it. But I have a, a venue in which I can use to help these people get relief. A lot of times, not every time, some of the stuff is kind of political, and so some of it doesn't get fixed. But uh, recently, there was a street with 109 potholes. The guy who called it in to me counted them as he was riding his bicycle along the roadway. And uh, so we're going to get some relief on that. Most of the stuff that uh, I do on an everyday basis is just garden variety helping viewers, and I, I suspect that this is a lot of your job as well, uh, getting relief from problems they have traveling in their neighborhood in particular, near the school their kids go to or on their way to work or wherever. But uh, those are the big three for me, at least in a city of a million people. Uh, rewarding to get them relief, even if it's something as simple as a utility cover that's broken and somebody could put their foot in it, and getting that fixed. I mean, it, it comes down to just those small things a lot of times to help someone out that lives in a neighborhood and they're concerned that someone could get hurt, they could break their suspension, wreck a wheel, what have you. A lot of my stuff is that. And then I also uh, have been sitting on something called the Complete Streets Committee, which uh, is looking at rethinking public streets and how they work for a lot of people not just car and trucks. So um, those are the things that are kind of highlighting my day, at least recently here in Tucson. Speaking with Al, Big Al, Kaith, traffic anchor and transportation reporter for KGUN-TV, Tucson, nine on your side. You can find him on Twitter at Big Al Traffic Pal. Finally from me, Big Al, what is your traffic pet peeve? Great question. You love asking great questions, I can tell. (laughs) I would say the railroad delays that we have, because I-10 follows the railroad tracks in Tucson, and to have a train, a single train come in, disrupts between 12 and 14 intersections at the tracks. So one train is so disruptive in Pima County, and that's the Union Pacific. Uh, They have a business to run, and unfortunately, back in the day, it was just easier to build a freeway along the railroad line because a lot of the right-of-way was already cleared out and uh, it was all known type of construction that you could do. Now we have to go back and retrofit all of our big metropolitan streets to not have the railroad be an issue anymore for us. I don't know if you have grade crossings at the railroad. Oh, sure. I suspect sure you we do. do. Yeah. I, sus- I suspect you have a lot of them that go right over or right under the railroad as well. That's what we're working on. That is my pet peeve to have. And I really think that I probably wouldn't be doing this job if it hadn't been for the Southern Pacific Railroad, now owned by the Union Pacific, uh, disrupting so many cars every day. 
Well, you know, I, I obviously have a lot of love for the railroad and what it's done for the country and, and how it has built the United States, really, especially out here in the West. However, when I am showing up to work at just after 3 o'clock in the morning and I hear the blaring horn of a freight train across this great city, how can it be a 21st century city where you're supposed to be living Jetson style with 1800s technology rolling through your town? You're right. Uh, unfortunately, though, uh, we're going to see more of them because it's the cheapest way logistically to get from point A to point B. It doesn't cost very much per mile, and corporations calculate it's, I don't know, 40 or 50 cents per pound to haul something across country on rail versus other modes. So we just need uh, to work around the railroad, and I think they need to be more cooperative because we have a design out for a bridge underneath the, uh, the, the their railroad bridge we would like to redesign, and they're difficult to work with a lot of times when it comes to improving things for people that aren't uh, rail folks that need to, you know, transport stuff on rail, just try to get to work. And so they're difficult to kind of work with a lot of times, but that's my pet peeve. They need to be more cooperative and we need to work around them and let them do what they do, but we don't need to be delayed by what they do. Just don't need it. They're difficult to work with sometimes on news stories. Usually most of the time on news stories, they're very difficult to work with. Yeah. You know, uh, Jason, I get the fact that you love where you are, but I also think that because Joseph isn't talking as much as what I thought he might be, he may be one that would uh, consider possibly a move to Tucson uh, for a little different lifestyle change, not a whole lot of snow, three seasons of weather, a rainy season, lots of cycling, uh, beautiful mountains, and I know you have those, but we have more. And a little smaller size of town. I, I'll tell you what, man. It sounds like a beautiful place. However, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't get me to trade the Denver lifestyle for anything. <laughs> well, I know you've got Lodo. Uh, I know you've got that whole downtown scene. But guess what? We've got something like that, not as big. Uh, but you might like uh, less people. Just a thought. Yeah, I, I would I would like fewer people. That's definitely for sure. All right. Big Al, thank you so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. You can again find him on Twitter, at Big Al Traffic Pal. Uh, thanks again for being here, all your insights, uh, all your traffic knowledge, and uh, giving, us the, uh, giving us the insights of what's happening there in southern Arizona and in and around Tucson. It's great collaborating with a sister station. We are also ABC, so if any of you visit Phoenix, which is... Also a sister station that's an ABC station. Love to have you tune in and love to have you visit. Please look us up if you're in Arizona. Al, thanks again. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Al. Take care, Joseph. Take care, Jason. We'll see you. All right. Uh, he is one of the last of the old-timey traffic guys anywhere in the country, as you could easily tell. Uh, more and more, it's young women who are who are in this traffic job, uh, but they are mostly interested in using this as a stepping stone to moving on to do usually anchoring or other reporting uh, and just using this traffic gig as a way to get some TV time and move on to what they think is something bigger and better, whether it's 
a job or a market size. But what I, I think they're, they're, they're not realizing is that transportation, the transportation beat, talking traffic, really is, I think, the bigger and better thing. It, it's always interesting. It, it's always changing. There, it, it always affects and just about everybody's life in many different ways. There are so many parts to it, so much to learn about it. There used to be transportation reporters for the newspapers mm-hmm. when we had newspapers here, uh, for all of them, and for all. It really, I guess none of the TV stations really had transportation people. We used to have these meetings with our Department of Transportation. They used to call it the uh, Traffic Watchers meeting, and it would be a time for us to ask questions of the region. Um, project managers to find out what projects they're working on, to find out um, what paving is happening, the road maintenance, all that stuff. And it was a good face-to-face meeting time Mm -hmm. for us as as traffic reporter people with the people that are actually doing the infrastructure improvements, maintenance, and uh, future construction. Those don't happen anymore. We don't have those. We don't have. We. I am one of the few, if any, transportation reporters in Denver. Otherwise, you see just general uh, general reporters doing the work mm-hmm. if there's mm-hmm. something going on. Mm-hmm. But nobody's really dedicated to it, like like me. Well, I just think there's a lack of beats in the reporting industry sure. at large yeah. these days, right? There's not there's not many people who are dedicated crime reporters, not many people who are dedicated education reporters, at least in this city. And I think that that, that speaks to or helps fuel this general brain drain, right? I mean, you've seen the articles, I'm sure, and our listeners have as well, that when you don't have a well-developed local media, accountability suffers and there's more waste in city spending because there are fewer people around who are able to keep them in check and are able to tell the public how the money is being spent in a way that makes sense to them. And that's what's really lacking now. And that's, frankly, a big part of the reason this city in Denver and in the greater Colorado got screwed over by RTD's fast tracks process is because there weren't enough dedicated traffic reporters to explain to people the math behind everything and why it might not work in real time. Yeah. We don't have anybody sitting over there at the city hall meetings unless something big controversial that has been tipped off to us, like the Pitbull ban being rescinded, is happening. Mm-hmm. But you don't have just somebody sitting over there listening to all the uh, meeting notes, and you, and you don't have somebody over at the state capitol hanging out over there talking to the legislators and finding out really what, what's happening over there. You, you, you don't hear it about anything until somebody flags us about something they don't like. That, that's just... That's just the way it has become now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, it, it's If you look at most of the traffic people that work for our parent company, Scripps, EW Scripps, uh, around the country, the majority are women, mm-hmm. which is fine. I think actually the majority of all reporters in the country now at all the TV stations, doesn't matter if it's our company or not, are women. I think there are much more, many more women in TV news than men at this point. Perhaps on air, but I sat in a production meeting yesterday for our political coverage coming up because we have Super Tuesday in three weeks, and we had our news director in there who's a woman and then 13 dudes, and just about all of them were white. So, you know, diversity on television may be coming a long way, but but diversity on behind the scenes, let's be honest, we still got a long way to go. Well, 
I'm not management, sir. I know. That's my job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, finally, Pennsylvania is the only state in the nation that does not allow local police departments to use speed radar. That was stunning when I learned that. I was reading a story about a bill that's in the Pennsylvania legislature that could change all of that. Because it's been apparently an ongoing battle for years where city police departments across Pennsylvania, they want to do more traffic enforcement, but they are not allowed to use radar to do that. So they have to figure out other ways to write tickets and slow people down. Now, police officers obviously say they support the bill to allow their towns and their their cities and and, uh, their counties to run radar to slow people down and write tickets. It just, that's a no-brainer. But most of the people who are opposed to it say that they're concerned that these police departments just want to collect money and just use it as a way, as a blank check, basically, to, uh, to start filling up the, start filling up the uh, bank account of the cities and the counties. Well, bring it on, I say. Everybody wants a blank check, right? I mean, basically what it means to me right now that if, if you want to go fast, go to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I was stunned when I heard that. I, 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 was, I was just like, what, really? Then, I, then I, do you ever pull anybody over for speeding or do you have to clock? I guess they have to clock them while they're driving behind them and, and figure out that, yeah, they were going 75. But, like, how many people are really going to know that? Doesn't do the, right, speed, the, right. the speed limit polices itself and the people who speed uh, also police themselves and, and they, know how to avoid police? And they assume that there's a radar gun in, in, their, in their police car. Right. Like when I was driving this morning up I-25 to work, and here comes this, uh, and I'm going 68, I go 68 to 70, and the speed limit's 65. This uh, pickup truck blows right by me, had to be going in the upper 70s, and there's a speed trap that I always know is a speed trap. And boom, the guy passes, lights go on, and off he goes. You can see the video on my Facebook That's page right thing. now. <laughs> that is <laughs> a beautiful was one thing. Of those. And the guy knew it. I could see his brakes. He was putting his brakes on because as soon as he saw the police lights, he's putting his brakes on, he's slowing down, gets pulled over. Boom. I know, man. I'm a habitual speeder, too. I've gotten busted by photo radar twice now since getting my license compared to my wife who speeds all the time and has gotten zero tickets since we moved to Colorado. Not that I'm bitter. I'm just pointing out that it's the thing that happened. Did you pay those tickets? Of course not. Perfect. (laughs) My man. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that was a great show. Again, thanks to Big Al from Tucson. Uh, Big Al Traffic Pal, if you want to get him on Twitter. I think that's his Facebook handle as well. Uh, If you ever have a question about uh, traffic in southern Arizona or Tucson or probably Phoenix, he could probably handle it anywhere in the state of Arizona. So thanks, Big Al, uh, for your uh, your input. And actually, I was reading a – I was sent by the University of Colorado – this study about traffic, either traffic deaths or traffic crashes or something. I knew this was the case anyway, uh, about more crashes uh, after a time change than before the time change because people are having their sleep schedule messed up and their times are all messed up. Uh, and so there was a, uh, an official study about this, and I'm going to try to line up the uh, author of the study, uh, I think, for next week. Beautiful. Because I think we're coming up on the time change in a couple weeks. Bring it on, I say. So I think it'd be pretty cool, and then we'll get back to talking traffic and go find uh, some other traffic anchors from around the country. Away we go. What do you think? Uh, anyway, thanks again for listening. Thanks for being here. And until next time, I am Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.